Hey everybody, we are Martin, Robert, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 76. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. So guys, before we get rolling today, uh, some big exciting news that we want to hand out to the listeners. We now have... An internet domain. Amen. So, yes, listeners, you can head to snakesandotters.com, and you'll find our blog right there at snakesandotters.com. Not a whole lot of content up yet, but we're putting some things up. we got links to the shows, uh, maybe a little of uh, what's coming next, and the occasional uh, pontificating. That oh, we've been very good at that, yes. Yeah. You, you can tell which one of us is, is, is posting because of the color of the hat. <laughs> Martin is gray, and uh, Robert is black, and I'm brown. So uh, that's just kind of begun really Yeah, cool. so th- there are some posts on the blog. Yeah. Uh, they tie, some of them tie to episodes. So yeah. you can read a little bit of a, about an episode, and then hopefully that'll pique your interest to go back in our archive and pick up on some of those early efforts that we had. That's right. Martin, you've been doing some very nice This Day in History episodes, mm-hmm. or uh, posts, rather. I like Thank that you. very much. Thank you very much. So that's been a good feature. The other big exciting news is, uh, you may not have heard this, but Amazon launched a podcast service in their Amazon Music, mm-hmm. and we have infiltrated that as well. Mm-hmm. So yes, you can tell your Alexa to play Snakes and Otters. I did that the other day, and I played the Steve Rogers episode. It was awesome. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Hey, hey, man, brothers, sister, sibling, sibling, sibling. Sorry. sibling. So that is very exciting, very, very exciting stuff. So, on to the episode. So, guys, this week we are returning to history. And, of course, when we talk history listeners, we're also kind of bundling in philosophy and philosophers because we always talk about these threads of history and how things tie. One thing ties to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, You know, history is is a string that really doesn't get cut. And philosophers and their philosophies are parts of that string. They're influential in different ways. So last month we talked about von Clausewitz, who's a philosopher, but on a very particular subject. His subject was war, not how to win one, but what war was. So this week, though, uh, the guys are indulging me and letting me talk (laughs) Oh, there was no indulgence. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted that we're going to do this. Oh, yeah, I was with you on this one. Brother, sister, sibling, yes, sibling. we're there. So this I'm just was, along for the ride. <laughs> this one is uh, God is Dead, Frederick Nietzsche. Um, and, and listeners, look, we all got lives. We all got jobs. We got kids. Uh, it was six, eight kids between us. We don't have time to really study Nietzsche. Uh, big time. He's super complex. Yeah, that's the, that was my only worry when we were putting together this thing. Is we can't do justice to him. There's no way. This well, is a graduate level. Pe- c- careers are made writing on yes. Nietzsche. He did well, so much. Most of the stuff we do, you know, it, it's a starting point. And that's what this is going to be. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's universally accessible. We pride ourselves on that. Yes. But it is also very deep at the same it's time. You know, deepness, depth is not something to be feared. It's something to be embraced, gentlemen and listeners. Yes, yes. And I have a great deal of confidence, especially my man Robert the Hammer here, that we get rolling, this will be a goodie. 
We'll we'll have a lot of stuff for you, listeners. Once we get rolling. Oh yeah, yeah. But I don't want to give the impression I've like read Nietzsche deeply or anything. But he's just fascinating to me. I come across stuff uh, about Nietzsche here and there. Come across these quotes and things like that. Uh, obviously, as we do a whole episode every month on quotes, we're always digging these things uh, that we come across these aphorisms. And Nietzsche aphorisms really grab me. So I wanted to do uh, an episode on Nietzsche. So before, before you dive into that, because Nietzsche is not going to be, I think, on the radar of most people. Right. So I'm coming into this not quite blind, because obviously I'm aware of Nietzsche and his, his influence, and, and you know, but again, certainly not read on, on the man a lot at all. So probably for most people, they're going to be like me, he's going to be know, if they know of him at all, they're going to uh, associate him with nihilism. Mm-hmm. Which is not the the sum total of his philosophical writings at all, right? Um, but why else is he important? Let's let's get that out because I think that's probably a, a good just a minute or two on that help get the r- listeners grounded. I think for what right. we're going to talk about. So, from what I can, what I'm gathering here and what I'm researching, Nietzsche occupies this really interesting spot in history. Um, he is a post-Napoleonic person in Europe. Um, he's born in 1844. But the convulsions that Europe goes through in the Napoleonic era and then followed by the Congress of Berlin and the revolutions of 1848 and this struggle between putting Europe back together with these monarchies versus these revolutions. Again, this is an era of Marx as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Darwin as well. As, uh, Darwin, Darwin is influential. Which is huge, huge, because yes. there's a lot of synergies between these two. He so and, there's, and there's this moment, again, in Europe that's, uh, I don't know, almost term it as post-apocalyptic. I mean, they really thought, like, Napoleon's ending the world here. Yeah, almost. that's actually a very it, good it's because very convulsive. apocalypse to them meant something different than it does today as to us because we think in the post-nuclear world yes. of a very different type of thing. That's so apocalypse still applies to them. They yeah. thought the world it, had it's ended. An, it's an end of, of this culture, this end of monarchy, end of everything they've been used to. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's occupying this spot where also the, the whole that Christianity has on Europe mm-hmm. is weakening and, and a little more tenuous. How so? The the idea behind that the state and the religion are the same thing is now splitting. You have the influence well, of the French Revolution. Split. I was going to say, yeah, that happened, that happened, you know, 300 years earlier. You know, well, with the not, wars not now. 300. No, no it's, it's best more... 200, but probably... Am I, am I doing 100, 100, 100 to 150. Yeah, you're talking, again, the Enlightenment, Voltaire. This is the first guy in yeah, Voltaire. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say you're talking... Who's, Voltaire's who's probably talking, the one that first started. That. Yeah, yeah. Peace yeah. of Westphalia, ending the Thirty Years' War, 1648. That's really where the... That's kind of where I was... It becomes codified. That's where I was kind of going. Well, that's 200 years, but I mean, that's still going to take time to work its way out. Yes, yes. The concept of a secular government that isn't tied directly to the church is really an enlightenment. It is. It's a Voltaire. It's an American thing. It was also irony of ironies put forth very strongly by Napoleon. 
Which in that, but then again, uh, there are those who rejected him, and yet he did <laughs> right. that same thing. And again, thing. that's the point. It messed Europe, everything up. Europe's trying to figure itself out again. Yeah, you, they've gone through this convulsion of the French Revolution and Voltaire and the Enlightenment, and this idea that the, stir, the state and the church can be separate. But that gives you Napoleon, and Napoleon almost took over the whole place. So where does that go? So they're really struggling to find a, a, a cultural, sociological direction. And I think Nietzsche is the exemplar of that. He's struggling in a post-Christian world to find meaning, to define morality. Well, there's a reason there is, a, there is an era known as 19th century philosophy, for goodness sakes. <laughs> I, I want to get hung up on this post-Christian term. Yes, that's probably not a good term for it, but go ahead, what, Robert. What term did they, were they talking in in the 1880s post-Christian? Because to us, that's an entirely, to that, that's a different connotation to me. Because yes. I would call the world we live in today much closer to post-Christian. Yes. Well, there's um, a rise of rationalism here that mm-hmm. that's kind of, uh, the, the whole, I have. Which he was against. Well, ironically. I read that. I, yeah, ironically, recently, that's it, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's that's kind of come into ascendancy here. Uh, now, I, I, you're right. Uh, the word "post" seems uh, uh, premature. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering what term you know. Did they use anything like that? I don't believe they would have used anything like that. I named my research. I didn't come across okay. it. So I, I am kind of just spitballing something here mm-hmm. uh, as a way to explain it. But it's again, it's this post-Napoleonic world where they're trying to put everything back together. The monarchies rise again briefly. And then now they're starting to come apart again in the revolutions of 1848. Something that will not reach its final conclusion until the end of World War One, of course. Exactly, exactly. But that's the and beginning is, of it right he now. He is that guy that bridges that era, that hundred years from the uh, Congress of Berlin redrawing the map of Europe to World War One, redrawing the map of Europe again. Right. Well, it's really only the latter half of it because, as you said, he, if he's born in 1844, uh, and, and we really know him as a as really the last quarter of the yeah, he, the he's he's an 18 1870s 1880s kind of guy. Exactly. That's where yeah. he does all of the body of his work. Right. He's a he's probably more influenced, and we talked about this in the show prep, uh, the rise of Germany, uh, the Second Reich, if you will. And the Franco-Prussian War, which creates that. Yes. That's the, that's the crucible in which he lives, because he is German. Yes. He is Prussian. Yes. He gives up his Prussian citizenship uh, in his adulthood and lives the rest of his life stateless, officially. But he is Prussian. He even serves in the Prussian military as a medic during the Franco-Prussian War in 1870. He's um, So you're right. He's very, very formed by all of this... German nationalism, a lot of what he's doing is a reaction to that. Um, that's Again, that is the, the, the crucible that he's being formed in, this Europe that's seeking itself, putting itself back together. And uh, again, um, why am I blanking on the fellow in Germany that put it all together? Not, Schopenhauer? Not, not Hindenburg, but... Bismarck. Bismarck, Bismarck. Yes. yes. You did that in show prep. Yes, <laughs> I'm blanking Hindenburg. again, but... Yes, I mean, yes. he lives in the middle of 
Bismarck running Central Europe. Oh, absolutely. With an iron, there's a reason he's called the Iron Chancellor, for goodness sakes. Yes. Yeah. And it's a, it's a new way of doing things. Uh, it's never, it's far more authoritarian uh, than, say, you know, the French would have had a visceral reaction to that and did. Uh, because we well, don't. It's far more authoritarian than the, than the Germanies absolutely. were used to because. Again, they were the Germany's plural. Yeah, electors for, for centuries. Know. Yeah, they, they were they were actually far more democratic than the the final regime turned out to be. Ironically, far they more liked a republic anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, well, that's better. And, yeah, and because it was Prussian, it was Prussian militarism. Wilhelm the first, and we've we've done this. That's right. When we've discussed uh, Frederick and, and Wilhelm the first and second, um, and again, this is all right in this middle thing. It's Victorian era. Um, well, that's that's true. Victoria's so slave trade has just happened, and, mm-hmm. and and the American Civil War has just happened, and you've got the rise of some great figures in the you know uh, Schopenhauer and Wagner uh, and Goethe. Yeah. These are all entering onto the world stage around this time, as as we've talked about, as in Darwin too. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. This is I don't want to say post enlightenment because that's probably not fair. But in many respects, this is kind of a culmination of a lot of that. This is mm-hmm. kind of a lot of those, uh, a new generation is re-examining things. And I'll give Nietzsche credit. He's, he's vilified constantly throughout history. Constantly throughout history. He's, uh, and I think many of it is low blows because it speaks of his mental instability. Uh, I think that's, that's harsh. It's probably yeah. true. It was true. But yeah. who cares? Uh, he, I mean, people still read him today. He had an enormous courage. But you can think about it. In an authoritarian regime... For you to say that Christianity is the devil, that's a gross oversimplification. <laughs> yeah. But basically say it's the problem. It's the problem, yeah. Because that, he's, he's pretty clear about that. God is dead. I mean, that's where it comes from. It's not, Which is not actually an accurate quote. No, it's not. It's, uh, that's, uh, of course, I think that's been glommed onto by many people that want to attack him. And I think it's not fair because he's trying to say, hey, he's raising his hand. I had issues with this. There are problems with this. And instead of staying in the arena of ideas, people just attack him. Uh, he's much maligned, and I think we do ourselves a disservice not to study him. Yeah. Well, you bring up a very good point, too. Again, yes, there is. he was very ill throughout most of his life, um, about a dysentery during the war, other s- substantial illnesses. Um, he's taking large doses of opium, um, perhaps even chlorohydrate. Uh, he doesn't sleep well. And then the last 10 years of his life, he really did have a, a complete mental breakdown. Well, yeah, basically they, and, they think it was a stroke, but we don't really his, know. His career totally ends. Well, he, he becomes a mental incompetent. Yeah. And, I mean, he was literally, he couldn't have a, he couldn't express himself. Uh, I don't want to call it catalepsy because it wasn't that, but it was uh, basically he becomes uh, a good example would be Captain Christopher Pike in the Menagerie. <laughs> he was just this side of being able to push the button that says two beeps for one and one one flash for you means yes and two flashes for no. He was that de- debilitated. Yeah. His mother had to take care of him until she died, and his sister took care of him after that. Yeah. Which is you know that's that should be enough from the human perspective. That should be tragic whenever we hear these stories. So his career is relatively short, only into his 40s. Yeah, again, he, he dies in 1900. He's only uh, 50 some years, uh, I guess, 55 years old. And, and again, the last 10, 11 years of his life uh, is basically as an invalid. Yeah. Um, so that's that's Robert. Did I answer your question? I have a feeling I did not. <clears throat> well, you gave a lot of background, which I'm not entirely sure. I. I 
<clears throat> I don't know that that given the um, the time when he's an adult, where he's coming of age, just as the Germanies are being formed, I, I don't know that that all the stuff prior to that is as big of an influence as we might think. It is certainly the cultural background for the world that he lives in, but I don't think he's aware of it uh, so much because when I think about us in the early twenties and, and, and our teens, you know, we would not have been aware of anything really as affecting us. Uh, you know, anything that would have been more than, than five years in the past. That's a good point. That's so good, you're right. If we're in our twenties, Vietnam's culturally influential but to us, it's very distant. Right. You know, Vietnam ends uh, for U.S. involvement in 1973. Yeah. But for us, you know, it's it's totally, at least for me anyways, it is totally outside of the realm of my experience, yes. even though com- becoming truly aware of my surroundings in, in the greater world happens, you know, at the end of the 70s, you know, just a few short years after that. So for me, you know, it, I... Some, I you know, I have to pause and think, oh my God, it's less than, than 10 years. Mm-hmm. Far my, less. My experience was very different on that, though, because I was aware. Uh, I can remember the first presidential election was my second grade year in 1972. And Vietnam was on the screens at night. I sat there mm-hmm. watching it every night at my father's feet uh, and was very aware of what was going on. Uh, yeah, and see, for me, the only recollection I have of that era is the fact that Watergate hearings took Watergate. over my morning cartoons. Well, and there was Watergate. some truth to that, too. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, we yeah. had we, we remember that as well. It was all part of that milieu, to use your word, yeah. uh, that kind of so, puts us out there. I don't know if that necessarily answers the question of why is he important. So what I'm looking for is what what did he write? What is that thing that he did yeah. that helped create the world we live in? Because I think that's one of the reasons that you want to talk about them. Yeah, that's where we want to go. So when I was looking at this, it reminds me of one of my favorite lines in Planet of the Apes. When they are... Paws off me. (laughs) No, 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 get your stinking paws off me. We did an episode on that, yeah. Yeah. So the astronauts, Landon, Dodge, and Taylor, are walking through the desert. They have not discovered the apes yet. And... They're having a discussion about why they went on this trip. Oh, it's one of the best scenes in the movie, actually. It's yes. usually because it's not so flashy. It doesn't get it doesn't involve the apes, so yeah. it's forgotten about. But it's very crucial. And basically, Chuck Heston's character Taylor is running the other two guys down. Yeah, yeah. mostly and Landon. Dodge mostly is Landon. actually not. He's actually ahead of them. Yeah, they talk and about he him. But says, he's not there. You know, Dodge. I get. He would. He would. Walk naked into a live volcano. volcano if, it, if it could learn something no one else knew. Yeah. You know, you did it for the glory, Landon. You know, that statue of you has already turned green. Yeah. Nobody knows who you are. Right. So there now, they, you know, Landon puts it back on Taylor. What are you doing here? Yeah. He says, you're just always negative. And, yeah. And Taylor says, no, I'm a seeker too. There has to be something out there better than man. That has, has to, to be. be. Yeah. Which, of course, smack, smack, smack. That's the brilliance of that Rod Serling script. Yes. Just to lay that out there is that that's why he's here. He's yeah. the only one that gets to experience it because Dodge is killed and Landon is effectively lobotomized. Uh, those who were so, not seeking with the purity of thought right. that he had. Yeah. So the, didn't survive. When I start looking at, at Nietzsche, I'm like, okay, he's Taylor. He's a seeker, too. Okay. Yeah. There's that. He's in this era of militarism and autocracy he finds Christianity's insufficient to answer his questions so he's trying to develop 
a morality outside of Christianity. He's trying to promote a set of values for the human experience. Not so much outside of Christianity. I think because that I think that implies that you might be looking to other faiths. I think he's looking because he's definitely not a believer. Correct. Yes. He is looking to, to create a a a, uh, a form of, of uh, a set of morals, a moral basis for for living tied to no religion. That is yes. right. Well, yes. That is that is based upon its whatever it should be. It has. Right. It is not. It is not derivative in any fashion. Which, in many ways, he, he's a man of dichotomies because this is very much an age of reason kind of thing. Yet he was very much against the rationalists. He saw because, he saw that as just another uh, same dance, different tune. Well, to him, uh, one of the things I, I thought was interesting. One of the things that I read was that he didn't like. The rationalists, the, the those who thought human reason could solve all, uh, was because, uh, and I don't have it in front of me. I wish I still had, but basically it was that after the last uh, 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 cognizant thinking animal is left the earth, then what did any of it matter? Which is very much a nihilistic yeah. point of view. Which again is not his entire corpus, right. but that is right going and to influence a lot of it. And that's part of it too. Again, he doesn't fit. In a, is he a rationalist? Well, I no. mean, in some part, yes and yes. no. Is he a nihilist? Eh, no, he's not. Uh, he's, he's not looking at everything's fruitless and pointless. He is searching. Um, he's a seeker, too. Yeah, he's a like seeker, Taylor. too. It, I wrote it down like this. He's <clears throat> attempting to reconcile the human experience between, on the one hand... You've got death and war and serial killers and everything else, and then on the other hand, you got Mother Teresa. How? What explains that? The how dichotomy you, of man. Yeah. How do you reconcile this whole huge experience of man? To a degree, you look at science, and he's looking again at, say, Darwin. Mm-hmm. But the animals. Once you've described an animal's behavior. I mean, turtles don't have personalities. You know, their behavior is the same. Uh, a chimp's behavior is just like another chimp's behavior, generally. But human behavior... The higher the animal, the, the more personality you will get. Yeah. The, the, Dogs the, have personalities. Chimps are going to have personalities. Yeah. Cats, they have a personality, but screw them. And, <laughs> yeah. And pigs have to be really, really charming. That's right. <laughs> or Jules Winfield. Yeah. Um, well, I mean... But it's... How, how do you reconcile studying human behavior and human animal when it's so unpredictable and there's this huge gap between so the, great, the know, great chasm. Jack the Ripper versus Mother Teresa and I think that's what he's trying to explore. So let, let me so let's delve a bit more into his personal background. So we talked about the cultural mm-hmm. background. But I think that given where he's going with this, it makes me wonder what faith life did he grow up in was you know being out of prussia could have been catholic but being in the germanies could be a lutheran or yeah. a calvinistic could have been uh, uh, he does have some things in so, common with calvinism predetermination is well, one of his things well calvinism rejecting that whole you know whole thing because it's a christian faith yet you know it, it's a very, for those of us that are not Calvinists, it's a very poor explanation of why there is Jack the Ripper and Mother Teresa because God has preordained all of it. What kind of God is that? 
to me, anybody who is a thinking person would reject that. That's I intellectually, I do yes. not understand a Calvinistic approach. And, well, you, and we've had that conversation many times. You're exactly right. But ironically, he's very close to that. He believes in predestination. Uh, Nietzsche does. He also well, believes in reincarnation, as in things that to go battle Star Galactica on you. All this has happened before, and all this is going to happen again. He he sees the that return. the eternal return is part of the things. See, if you the more you try to put. Nietzsche into a box, the more he defies conformity. You <laughs> well, just can't make sense of him. That's why he's so vilified at times. Because well, it, it, you can make the argument that, you know, two, two arguments. That one, that's what makes him a good philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, you know, nobody can understand what he's saying. So you have to keep writing to explain the same premises. Right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if he changes his mind, it won't matter because nobody will know because they didn't understand what he wrote before anyway. So. He's the platypus of great philosophers. He's neither one thing or another. But see, I think all philosophers are like that because if you look at, you know, if he's got all these things that, you know, if he's rejecting God but believes in a predestination which would have to be based on, uh, which would explain his rejection of rationalism mm -hmm. because uh, a non-religious predestination basically says we are all instinct. That's the only way you can be predestined. Oh, and that well, that's that's him. That's right. that's very much him. Is that and, and 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 he divides it into what he calls his master slave theology here or philosophy, where it's you, you've got the strong and you've got the weak, and they're both present in society and yet both present in each humanity. And he assigns what he calls virtues to both of them. Mm -hmm. uh, the strong, their virtues are far more. Uh, militaristic, he sees that. See, there's the German in him. Whereas compassion, those things like that, they're present, but those are the slave thing. Those are not desirable because he's trying to. He's, well, yes, because you have power, you don't need to be compassionate. Which goes back to his, you know, his path to power, his, you know, road to power, the That's, will to power, the will to power. Exactly. Exploring, All of that. Exploring human will as the basis for a new morality. Right. Which, in obviously, for us, uh, you know, that's a very poor. Oh, that's uh, Darwin, Darwinism on parade. The strong survive and the weak shall perish. Well, not even so much that, but because that implies a, uh, at least at some level a collective. Uh, well, that's true. Whereas yeah. today it's an individual. And he was a father of a lot of that too because he's yeah. very individualistic. But that whole rejection of any kind of, of non-personal standard for anything uh, is to me the biggest intellectual and philosophical failing of him. That's why, for me, I cannot admire uh, the man as a philosopher because I think he's Flat intellectually he's, in, he's, he's flawed and, and inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, I think he's got more flaws than, than admirable things. You, know, you can always find something that's like, well, that's not bad, but when you, when you Take expand the it to its logical end, yeah. it makes no sense. Well, Nietzsche is also the king of aphorisms. That's one of the reasons he's quoted so much is because he intended he wrote that way. He wrote you, that way. He, he, they were yeah. intended to be pull quotes, which we in this modern, you know, you know, twenty first century, we love that sort of stuff. That's one of the reasons he's easily soundbite. Soundbites. He absolutely. wrote for Twitter before Twitter existed. <laughs> very, that's very, yeah, very true. Just, a lot of the books are just. Are he bad. he was one of the first proponents of what we would call moral relativism. Yes. Well, yes, because even more if you so than do not Bill. have a, a universal standard, then everything is relative, and that I think is one of the things that um, is the logical fallacy. Yeah, because of, Mill even he he at least said that there was a standard. It's whatever I want, but at least well, he said there's a standard. But Nietzsche's saying that too. 
because it's, otherwise, if otherwise, you're not looking for a moral. Uh, he's speaking uh, more of the macro. I think Nietzsche is because it's it's whatever that will to power. Uh, that Ubermensch that you're trying to be, you're trying to be the greatest you can possibly be. Yes, the, yes, you're trying. To, I think that's the big difference. Is he dis- dislikes authority really, really badly? He doesn't like authority, and he's living because, in an authoritarian regime. Yeah, I mean, he's he sees that as you know, or he sees this Prussian militarism as probably the highest expression of that authoritarianism. He's rebelling against that. He's rebelling against tradition. He wants each individual. To be as great as that individual can be, that's your real will to power. That's that's and then but how as you, you but because great. he's because it, exactly. he's so individualistic, he recognizes that he he's he's arguing for something in a vacuum that by definition cannot be. Right. Well, the social concerns are not part of his. Well, <laughs> yeah, worry about I mean, yeah. What does it mean to be moral? Well, yeah, it, and we the, would say, well, not hurting other people. That's but Bill. he says you have to come up with that definition yourself. Not from your Christian experience or or whatever. Well, and this is where this Authority. is to me the big flaw because if you want everyone to be the to use the modern language the best version of themselves that they can be, yep. if you don't have the universal standard, that phrase doesn't make any sense. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, because <laughs> if I define what the best version of me is, and it's sitting on the couch eating potato chips in my underwear all day long. Almost everybody, except other people who like to do that. Those granted, are visuals we didn't need, sir. Sorry. Well, you know. I mean, uh, what if the best version of yourself is Dexter from that HBO show? Exactly. You're still a serial killer. You're I'm still a serial killer. killer. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the, there's there's no modus vivendi built in, baked into this yeah. system here. But but Where's societal to, order go? Yeah. But you can start to see the attractiveness, though, then once you start to hit the post-World War II world. Is it's you know there are a lot of things feeling adrift, and here's somebody who was adrift a hundred years ago, well, yes. and wrote a, wrote all this stuff about it. So hey, I can learn something. Well, so you see why this became influential not just in his era, but then sure later. Well, Hemingway would have loved it because he's the he's the quintessential poster boy of the lost generation after World War One. Mm-hmm. So Where every, nothing matters. Nihilism was everywhere. Well, yeah, and they're reaching back to Nietzsche. For the articulation, but he's on that. an anti-nihilist, and and he's still trying to find a moral system. Uh, yes, correct. Go so, ahead, Robert. I, I, uh, that's right. You're both <laughs> walking all over me here. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, the uh, you know the 20th century is a repeat of the 19th century in many ways. Yes, they are trying to put Europe back together. Yes. Oh and yeah. So and failed twice. And failed twice. Yes. So <laughs> at least after Napoleon, Europe they only three strikes once. and you're out. You know, I mean, Europe failed in the you know the, the late 19th century, the early uh, uh, 20th century, and the mid 20th century. They they, you know, well, you might say that the third time they got it right because we've not had a war in Europe since 1945. Well, they got it right because we rebuilt them in our image. Well, that's true. So, which is one of my favorite things to say. Is, we'll be doing some episodes on that. Yes, next. we will. Yeah, next year in, in 2021. Just to let you and folks it, know, it wasn't because of the United Nations. Right, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna do the mid twentieth century, kind of as our as a meta theme for the or for for twenty twenty one. You know that anniversary of Pearl Harbor and World War Two. We're gonna do tons and tons and yes. tons of stuff. Right. So that. since we have interrupted my my train of thought again, this is probably a good time to talk about our bourbon. Yes, I was just going to do that. It was a good <laughs> so, I didn't do it. He was doing most of it this time. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I, I just I'm helped. I'm going to return it back to Robert. So I'm going to return it to you, but. 
Yes, we are recording at Studio R today, listeners. Yes, we are. We are at Studio R in the uh, in the uh, outdoor atrium. section. Yeah, in the atrium. In, in the in the atrium. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, and just enjoying the crap out of ourselves. And uh, this is exactly the way I thought this episode would go. So I'm loving it. Perfect. We're good. Good. We're good. Doing I'm glad. Because the guys are listeners. The guys are worried. Oh, we don't know a whole. It's like, look, well, I'm gonna kick us off. And then you guys are going to take off with it, and it's going to be awesome. Well, that's not quite fair. We do know quite a bit, but probably just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> well, that's part of it. That's yes. probably described most every episode we do. <laughs> we are Renaissance men, gentlemen. We should, we should know quite a bit about a lot of things. We don't know everything about everything, but we know enough to really, you know, give us a topic and the three of us in the same room, and we'll go for it. you got 45 minutes. you got 45 Easy. minutes. Got 45 minutes. And so it's up to you, listener. And it's the content will be good. Yeah. So I am drinking, I am back to my all-time favorite uh, Pappy aside, I am back to the um, uh, Woodford Double Oaks. Oh, is that what you went with? Yeah. Yes. Robert has the best, I think, so- selection of bourbons at his house. We've not been back here since the pandemic. That's and true. when we, yeah, we walked in, he months. says, here's your bourbon selection, gentlemen. And it's all over his kitchen counter. I'm like, that's what, seven? Yeah, Eight. it was seven. 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 He's got to cover Well, I poured some of your four roses. I oh, thought you might. You? Yes. It's very smooth and... and Man, it's, it's good and stuff. And you know what? I, the thing I love about that particular bottle of Four Roses <clears throat> is that it's one of their lower-end bottles. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a single batch. No but problem. it is phenomenal. I mean, you cannot beat that for a $25 bottle of bourbon. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Good. Really it's good. good. has the, the good uh, oaky uh, charcoal taste to it, the flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Very smooth. Burns kind of down here in the, kind of the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. So it works. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken well of the, the the Woodford many times. All I can say is get it. Yeah, it's 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 kind of your go to to go with, to go with on that. Yes. I stole some of your Knob Creek Maple because went back to the maple. I went back. Well, we hadn't to had the had breakfast it. bourbon. The breakfast, breakfast bourbon. We hadn't had it since that one time, and I actually just listened to that episode not that long. And I realized, oh yeah, I gotta go back to that because he's got that at his house. It, that sweetness. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, I, I'm into all that. I love sweetness. It's just what I is. That is a, a really uh, is it fine sh- is bourbon. it over sugared? Uh, not for me. I you know it could be. Uh, it's it's an inter- interesting mix of uh, flavors because you know you're not really used to the sweetness in the bourbon. Oh, and that's why once upon a time I would like to have bourbon and coke because I wanted that sweetness. And granted, well, that was kill the edge. I think, at least for perhaps, me, perhaps. And I think that was just that was just me. I recognized that, but uh, but it was also a very immature bourbon drinking uh, attitude. Yes, we did some horrible things to bourbon. Well, we didn't. You know, days. ignorance is what ignorance is. You yes. know, you can fix ignorance. Yeah, I, I dropped the soft drink in the bourbon pretty early. Well, you, I was it, ahead of you. You were far, you are, yes. Yeah, you you did, and I just had a hard time with that. And it's only since we've done all this that I realized. Well, you know, need is best. Ice is okay, yeah. but that's about it. But this kind of satisfies that sweetness that I crave because it's endemic. It's inserted in the bourbon. I'm not at it's not an additive. I'm just enjoying it. Yes, which yeah. in many respects is the whole point. Yes, I do like mine chilled. Um, uh, minimum ice. I don't want to dilute the the flavor. Yeah, of the that's, I used your ice to, to, um, to for this one. The uh, now one thing I have done. I have to talk about. So I'm using the the metal. Coffee cup. Uh, you know, people see these things tumbler. all over. The metal tumbler. tumbler. Metal insulated tumbler. And these things are f- fantastic. Anybody who's used them knows that they keep things cold forever. Uh, I've got one that uh, I just got a big uh, thirty-four ounce uh, tumbler that mm-hmm. uh, tested it out the other night. Filled it up with ice 
and it was almost it was probably seventy five percent of the ice was still ice the next morning. Do you still have ice in that thing? No, actually, oh, this if, if it were covered, I probably would. Oh, I was gonna say because I, I um, I'm not hearing it clinking. Yeah, 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 but it's still it's still just as cold. It's and really, it, it, really nice sweat. And from you his don't, yes. and you don't have any metal metallic taste. No, there's no metallic. See, that's taste. always what I would fear. Is um, you know because you, you we've all had those drinks where you can take a drink and you can taste all oh, that water. Well, you know you can tell that's in metal. Yeah, yeah, no, no, there's none of that there. Um, well, good. I gotta say, if if you can drink your bourbon in a metal tumbler, I think that's the way to go. Well, we will experiment with that. Certainly, yes, we we've always used we've always used crystal or glass up to this point, but uh, I'm willing to be educated. Yeah, so uh, when we when we, now that we have our website, you know, yeah, we, absolutely, listeners, you know, we we've talked about this. Uh, oh. We are going to be producing some snakes and otters swag. That's correct. That that's the hope. Yes. Yeah. We, so, you know, we, we, long we, range. The, well, the plan we, we, is you know, to we've got a brand the world in snakes and other. Right. We have a brand. Right. We have a logo. I mean, the three hats. That's our thing. You know, you see that all over. And the I place. guess if it doesn't sell, we can donate it to Africa like they do with Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Super Bowl loser stuff. That's right. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. It's, uh, so yeah, you know. I, you know, if we don't find some Bellarmine metal tumblers, then the Snakes and Otters metal tumblers will be one of the first swag we produce, I think. You know, that uh, also reminds me that we need to do some uh, blog posts on the domain, on snakesandotters.com, uh, about bourbon. Yes. That's something that is not there yet. It is not. That's correct. Well, that, that actually is a good idea because we can link to the men, the various manufacturers, the stuff that we've had. Snakes and Otters recommends. That's exactly right because, you know, hey, and I don't know that there's ever been one that we don't. Uh, uh, no, that, well, we generally tend to stay away from. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, we don't. It doesn't make it doesn't make it to the to the airwaves if we've not liked it. I yeah. suppose. I mean, it. Well, I mean, we certainly have had bourbons the first time on the air, but we've not hit a clinker, a clunker yet. No, 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 no clunkers. No, no, I've got a new Enforce to try next time we oh, record that? at Studio M. Uh, I bought some called Quarter Horse. Oh, yes, yes, you mentioned that. Yes. Reserve. Had not had that yet. It's from so. Owensboro. It's not been opened. I am saving okay. it for... Right. for sounds like... Sounds like by the way, Myers, being from Michigan, we pluralize that. Kroger's and Myers, whereas it's technically Kroger and Meyer. I don't know what it is about being from Michigan. We pluralize those you things. You pluralize it. It's possessive. Well, I was... I it's didn't mean it possessive. Gross, grocery. Yeah. But it's Meyer Thrifty Acres is, is the old. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the old name. Oh, yeah. So, but anyways, uh, I was there the other night uh, with my brother who was in town, and they've got a liquor store just like Kroger does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they so it's usually good. Selection. I swung through. It's very tiny. Yeah. But a very nice selection of bourbon as far as number of things that I had never seen before. Oh well, we haven't even begun to scratch the yeah. surface, gentlemen. Well, I thought it was a nice. It was nice that I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I did notice though they had things uh, pretty good price. I don't know if those were on sale or if those. Always on sale. I've been to Costco and found more than a few, you know more than a few yes. that I expected, and they have a Sam's large. does a good job they have too. A large, Carson. large selection of those, and I've got a few. I've got my eye on a few of those. The Woodford Double Oaked is a sixty dollars bottle retail. They had it for forty five. Yeah. So you know, that was that's, that's the market for you. That's yeah, what it should yeah. be you know. So, anyways, ways. back to yes, Robert, Fred. Go ahead. That's right. This on. So Fred, who Fred, Fred, um, Freddie, Freddie Nietzsche. So I, I guess I guess the thing that that. Uh, that bothers me the most about him, and, and, and I don't mean to pummel the expired equine uh, with him. But he's not quite dead yet. <laughs> not quite dead yet. <laughs> he might be getting uh, better. Uh, is this uh, idea that I don't necessarily say that everything's relative? Because it, it's such a it's an, it, as you were saying, Francis. It's a mix. Yeah. Uh, everything's relative. 
yet nothing matters except what you make it yourself, which getting back to kind of circles back around on itself. Um, and you set the standards, yet there are no standards. And to me, this is a just an intellectual uh, mousetrap, uh, for lack of a better term. Ooh, that's a good word. Yeah. Because if you have no standard and nothing matters, then you have uh, literally chaos. It, it is. Yeah. Because... It, it very much is that the strong set the rules, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, and they dominate the weak. Which, granted, is the vast majority of history. Well, that's Darwinism, straight yeah. up. You know, and it's no accident that the two of those things came came to fruition. But most people will recognize that because most people are not the strong. You know, they're, they're, you know, we're somewhere in the middle. We're somewhere in the middle, or God forbid, on the bottom. Yeah. But we recognize that there is a more fully human way to go about it. And we've talked about it many times. That idea that uh, that we set our own standards, uh, it's very much tied into other people aren't real. And it's mm-hmm. the lack of respect for human dignity. Yeah, uh, absolutely. To, and that's the exactly the, the, what Nietzsche is struggling with. Um, he understands that the loss of a universal perspective or a universal standard on morals and values then destroys what he would call objective truth. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, he rails against that. Yes, he, does, he thinks there is no such thing. Yes. He thinks, so, it, he thinks it's manufactured. What I find very fascinating is uh, it's called perspectivism. And it's, you know, there's no truth. There's only perspective. It's not quite the same as relativism. It's right. very similar, though. It's yeah. very close. He would but not use that word. To me, I, I start thinking about that, and I'm going, well, you know what? So how it's true from a certain point of view. Yeah, it's like, how do we know <laughs> well, Star Wars are true? Um, you know, we're, we're three gentlemen that are educated. We understand that the Earth revolves around the sun, and the moon revolves around the Earth. But... Can any of the three of us prove that mathematically? No. We can't. We, we trust just, those who we, have supposedly exactly, done we so. We have to trust. And so that truth is, in our perspective, we accept it as a an objective truth, mm-hmm. but it's only because our perspective is we trust mathematics and science. And the long history of those who have proposed it. And then you think about, you know, the pandemic. We accept as objective truth that masks do something to help us cope with this. Positive. But do they? I mean, there's people who are rejecting that as well. And so how do you get to a truth? There's your perspective influences your understanding of truth. His lack of uh, speaking. I would about say the that's a great way of putting that. Yeah, it is. Because I, I think, as as Catholics, not just those who are, are are entrusted to proclaim the word and explain it, but you know, I would consider us Catholic philosophers as well. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah, very good. Sir. And yeah, sir. as as a Catholic philosopher, you know, I think we would very much recognize that our perspective colors our understanding of the truth, because because that's what, I mean. Theologian is essentially a Catholic philosopher. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in, in many ways, but every theologian would, I think, agree with that as well. That their perspective, because that's how you get multiple different kinds of theology out of 
the one faith because there are you know there's a Benedictine the, uh, theology, there is a Franciscan theology, there is you know, all kinds of yeah, different Dominican and, and yeah, Jesuit for, uh, theology and of has, the body that has been for centuries, and you know it's all. It's similar gradation, you know, the millions of colors that the human eye can see. It's the same thing, right? But it's still sight. It's a different. It is Enzo's a way of understanding objective truth, something yes. that humans cannot grasp the totality of by our very nature. And see, to me, that's I think that's where Nietzsche is going in in a rejection of Kantian ethics and a rejection of the philosophers that have gone before who says there is an objective truth Mm -hmm. and he's saying no all truth is colored by your perspective you accept something becomes an objective truth to you but it's still your perspective see and that's where the yeah he's got something to say there but then he drops the ball when you take it to its logical conclusion yeah and and that's that's the difficulty here that's why i love going i love reading nietzsche because he sharp he forces you to sharpen your beliefs and sharpen your arguments that's right and you know if he if he leads you down a rabbit hole and says oh my gosh maybe he's right he's kind of done his job because he's not out to bring about doubt but he's going to make you own what you believe Right, and, you ha- and be your what is, master of yourself. That's one of his things. Right. Be, you know, becoming the master of if yourself. If you're going to believe it, believe it, and you better be able to articulate why. Just doing so because somebody you're accepting what somebody else has given you is not and good that's enough. Your will. That's your correct. Will. Your will is to say, "I believe." Uh, as Thomas More would say, "It's not I believe, but I believe." <laughs> Trust I believe. That's right. I trust to make myself obscure is what Moore would say. And Robert, I think you are very much on to something as well in that there is a danger of going too far down a Nietzschean path. And we'll just talk about this too, that um, during his later years, again, he was mentally incapacitated, essentially paralyzed, the last 10 years of his life. Captain Pike. His sister is putting together his unpublished writings. And there were a lot of them. And she was a German nationalist. Uh He rebelled against German nationalism, Prussian nationalism. She was also an anti-Semite. He railed against anti-Semitism. Yeah. Railed against it. Thought that was idiocy. Complete idiocy. Prevalent all over Europe at this time. Sure. Uh, You know, Russia, the Jews have to live in the Pale of Settlement. Segregated everywhere across Europe, basically. Yeah, and this is not new. I mean, this is something that's been going on. And he, but it was in their face. Yeah, he hated it. She rewrote it. Rewrote. I mean, she colored those writings that were unpublished and published them. She was a German nationalist. She had participated in one of these. uh, It seems crazy to us, but had moved to South America to help found Nueva Germania. (laughs) You know, this colony of of Germany is like. Well, yeah, but there's like already like a country there, um, so she outlives him, and of course, in doing this with his writings to make them so pro-German national, the Nazis unfortunately latch on to. That's right. Be, his for unfortunate, w- unfortunately, the truth doesn't really come out at first. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's only because really. yeah, it's it's only because there were those who says, "Wait a minute, it really is he the really that of his thought that that's it, right because he became associated and, with Nazis." And, but you know what? I think that's a fair fair way to do it because that is her perspective 
on his writings. <laughs> well, you, I mean, think about that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, you could uh, you could use his own argument against him to show how ludicrous the argument is, yeah. and that's kind of where I was going with well, it. Well, that's that's a poster right. boy of a, right. of the right way of doing that here. But I want to make sure that we we hit this hard because I'm glad you brought that up, Martin. Because there are people, listeners, not our listeners, because our listeners are thinkers and understanders. But there are many people in the world that they hear the word Nietzsche. And next thing you know, they're only a few letters different, and it's Nazi. And it is not. We have got... That is that is uh, absolutely not true, not even close. You're well, right. They, they glommed onto what they wanted to glom onto because it was rewritten. The ubermensch becomes the master race. That is exactly right. right. And that's, and that's, and that's probably when it comes to popular understanding, that's what they understand Nietzsche is, is. Wait a minute, wasn't Hitler a follower of Nietzsche? Didn't he? Isn't he the one that created the philosophical underpinnings on him? Under him, no, it was not Nietzsche. It was a perversion of Nietzsche's ideas by his own sister. Well, probably any philosopher that is associated with any movement, you could make that argument because the philosophers almost always are going to die before mm-hmm. movements. <laughs> yeah, really. Take well, shape. we're fortunate because this that that lie, what she did, could have remained unknown and unrealized uh, throughout this time, and he would have gone down in history as a Nazi. Well. And he wasn't. Oh, well, yes. Oh, either you're going to say if she hadn't done what she did, you know, I would say if she hadn't done what she did, he might have, he might be a relatively unknown man entirely. No, 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 I wouldn't say that. I think, I think oh, he's, well, maybe. There was already some scholarship even during his yeah. life. People had started to. Um, he was radical and new and very different. And yeah, people had started to lecture He did glom on onto some things that okay. others, he articulated things in, it was radical, but it was also very new. Nobody had ever done that before. So, before we... Because I know we're, we're really getting long yeah, on time. Yeah, we, we are right at 50 minutes. So Do we ever go not go long, gentlemen? We're okay Anymore, no. Be okay with well, that. Well, I'm extraordinarily long. Uh, oh, for God's sake. Well, I don't know about extraordinarily, <laughs> but, you know... I mean, how the hell do you know? I'm sorry. I don't know a damn thing Well, I mean, about I that. know we claim that of our buddy Marcus Aurelius, too. He or said that he claims it, anyway. He has claimed this. Uh, yes, we have been told this. His well, wife seems to corroborate this, so we so we've worked on sexual innuendo as well. So this is we a don't great, do that. great episode. We don't do that much, nor <laughs> yeah. should we. But yeah. if oh, yeah, never. Well, well I, mean, I don't think the kids will be listening to a Nietzsche episode anyway. So well, okay. you know. So what I want to do, let's 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 get Robert, on that. Go ahead. Let's go on. So we've talked about him, but still mainly in the context of his own time. Yes. And leading up to to Hitler, and so as a individual philosopher he's been pretty well repudiated yeah, in that sense now whether that's fair or not is not he's the point he still studied though yeah well I didn't say that he wouldn't wasn't studied because you can repudiate somebody and still study the hell out of them sure absolutely. He, he's so, a poster boy for that what I, but what I would say is I see in what he has written the seeds of several things that are very common and popular today. Yeah, I'm glad you went there because we got to lay that out. So I see, I don't, and I don't know if it's true, but I'm willing to bet that Ayn Rand was heavily influenced by his writings. That makes a lot of sense. It does. And if, there's probably some scholarship there, on that. <clears throat> and from there, not necessarily in a direct tie, but, oh, <clears throat> pardon Oh, goodness. That's okay. You, you go over there and cough, and we'll, we'll talk about some bourbon a little bit more. I'm out, for goodness uh, sakes. I don't know how that well, happened. Well, no wonder you're going so long, because you got a lot of bourbon in you. No, that's right. Um, but I see also in his writings, uh, because and this is tied uh, not necessarily through, but is definitely related to uh, Ayn Rand, 
uh, I see a lot of what he says in uh, as a philosophical underpinning, even if they wouldn't recognize it uh, mm-hmm. as such, right. either cognizantly or not. Okay. Uh, the libertarian movement, because the libertarians yeah. are the ultimate expression in a in an accepted way. Yeah. Of this idea that your perspective is everything, and you you know that there is no absolute objective truth and you have to build your own best self right create your own value system exactly. therefore leave me alone yes get off my lawn as martin would say well you know i can be a good catholic and still tell those damn kids to get off my lawn <laughs> yeah. maybe not a good catholic but i can be catholic and tell uh, them that's both yeah but well, and you're concerned for their safety that's right you're that's just right. expressing it in a, in a way that so it's effective. Can be selfish, yeah. So yeah, I I think you could certainly the way we we laid this out. I think you can see a lot of uh, some of of his writings. I think he has a lot of it uh, is a is a philosophical basis for things that we are all familiar with, but under different names. Mm-hmm. You know, I've often said that libertarians. I don't know if I actually I don't even know if I've said it on the show, but I've said it uh, in in discussions with you guys and with others. Libertarians are the ultimate liberals. Yeah, we have said that. Yes, and. I, and you know all the libertarians are going, oh, but it's true because they're the they're the old philosophical liberals people, not political liberals. Philosophical. They, they are two entirely different. Two things. entirely different things, uh, because they want government and other groups to get the hell out of their their pocket, their checking account, their bedroom, their property, everything. They should, you know they want to be left alone to decide as much as they can for themselves. Get out of my holster. Get out of my holster, yes. Um, so, and that's very much a liberal philosophy. You know, again, philosophical liberal, not political. And a lot of that is going to be tied to this whole idea of we get to decide. You know, they've, you know, they've taken that Nietzschean, I decide what is moral for me. Uh, and now, unfortunately, both in political liberalism and uh, Political conservatism, which in many ways are two sides of philosophical liberalism, yeah. uh, as well as libertarians, it's tra- it's been transfigured into good Catholic word. There. That's a good word. I, I was going to compliment um, you on that. That's a very good word. Into I get to decide what's right for me and for everybody else. Ah, uh, and that is the Ubermensch deciding what is good. That is the strong applying uh, mm-hmm. the power that he has acquired. And that is true. I don't care what side of the aisle you are on. That is both major political parties in this country. Mm -hmm. And I would dare say that is most uh, major political parties anywhere. That's very Hobbesian, too. You know, the one person that has it all together gets to decide. One man! That's right. One man would have eventually... (laughs) One man would have ruled eventually. It's Rome under Caesar. Think of his accomplishments. You're 100% on the money. That's Condonian Singh. Robert. Rand, Camus, Sartre... um, Heidegger, all very influenced by Nietzsche, all very influential That's on right. today. See, Robert on spitballed that and was one hundred percent correct. He's, he's uh, we a, bow to you and your and your Again, abilities, this, sir. You know, rediscovery after World War II, new translations, shaking off what his sister did to his writings, he becomes influential again. And, and part of that is too is again, it's obtuse stuff. It's hard to get through. And you can make that but kind of stuff mean anything. But it's still quotable. 
you know, if you, you know, if you were trying well, to impress girls in the 60s, you could run out some Nietzsche quotes. Well, you know, we, we talked about Von Clausewitz before. One of the reasons he has been so so sustainable is the same reason that Nietzsche has been so sustainable, because he wrote with aphorisms, aphorisms. in mind. Yeah. And we, in the 21st century, love those soundbite stuff. We'll, we'll quote that stuff all day long. Give me a, a pithy sentence, and we're all over that stuff. You know, I, I want to... I probably have dominated some of this conversation, not meaning to, because this is this is Martin's no, 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 no. episode. No, no, no. I, it was wonderful. It was exactly what I wanted. I took off with some the points. The quality is all, gentlemen. And and Robert, you you did exactly what I had hoped you we would do. We all one of us always manages to carry. Oh, that's the probably two. true. Yeah. There's some truth to that. One of the things I do want to recognize is, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm hard on him, I, and I recognize, and I that. wanted you to be, yeah. But I will point out. That, as I said before, he does have some good things. Yeah. And certainly understandable after World War II. After World War II, we've just come from this, from uh, the forces of liberty fighting the forces of fascism. Yeah. And in both cases, uh, uh, the major, uh, uh, if you want to say all three cases, but it's really hard to, to put Italy in there because Italy's really out of things and they're not a major player in the struggle. It's mainly Germany and Japan. Yeah. And these forces are very totalitarian. And so yes, that's, that's it's very much the suppression of the individual, which is the total uh, bastardization of yeah. what he's talking about. Well, the subsuming of the individual to the state. Yes. The consumption of the individual and to the to state. And authoritarian So this structure. idea of be the best person you can be, be the best you, the best version of yourself is what it's become, is very understandable. And, you know, and I actually agree with that, that we should all be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Sure. But for me, the, the framework of that yes. is entirely different. Framework, that's perfect word, perfect word. Exactly. You have a framework on which to build yourself as a better person. Yes. You have the framework of Christian faith and belief. He does not have that. He has put that aside. He loses his faith during his college era. He's rebuilding a faith. He's removed the skeleton from the body and is wondering why it's a morphous block. That's why it doesn't work, I think. What do you hang the muscles on when the skeleton's gone? Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. If you take the the libertarian, you know, the modern view of Nietzsche, the libertarian, get at you know, get out of my life entirely. Then it beca- it becomes that post apocalyptic world. Well, it's use, chaos. You know, that it's you were, always chaos. You know, yeah. is the description of the environment that he that he came to maturity in. But it, it, it is a true post apocalyptic world because there's nobody to say what's right and what's wrong except whoever has the biggest club. Yeah. And that is 100 percent antithetical to everyone being the best version of themselves. Yeah. Because. Always, there's going to be somebody that won't let you. Well, because the best humans, version of them is subjugating you so they don't have to do whatever right. they well, want. Well, humans tend towards the, the concept of oppression. That is, that is unfortunately... A well, thing it's our fallen keeps, nature. It's, I was about it, to go expressed. there, but you're exactly right. That's a, We can't get rid of that. Wish that we could... Uh, although it gives us a strength. I understand that. We don't see some of that. the eschaton. There you go. Wow, we damned. There you go. <laughs> we have yeah, come full circle. Humans are not perfectible creatures. That's one of my main things is 
Yes, some structure is, has to be there. Humans are not perfect. How it arose really is irrelevant, and Frederick. He's, because he's, yeah, uh, okay, so it came from. He's looking to perfect. He, the he's human trying creature. to discard all of that. I'm thinking, you know, there's a reason it has stuck around and stayed. It's because it works. Just because you don't like its origins, that's up to you. But ultimately, you can't argue with the results. Well, and even if. You know, granted, there's not that many cultures left that have not been exposed to Christianity in some form. But even when you go back far enough to before they were, there are certain commonalities to all human cultures. And certainly it's not, you know, the respect for human life and human dignity is not the same in all cultures. No. You know, those that practice human sacrifice is does not have the same understanding. That's correct. As, you know, coming out of a, uh, a Catholic Europe... You know, pre-Reformation, uh, you know, back when it was all one. Yeah. The only way they could get around that was to de- de- define others as not human. Or just, you know, it's a sacrifice. You, know, you, Put you are some, sacrificing yeah. yourself. You know, Put you, something in its place above that. But that you're putting yourself in it. service, too. Because, you know, for the most part, again, this is somewhat projection, what I think, but <clears throat> I'm guessing that we're human sacrifice was practiced. It was done as a, this is a great honor. Uh, Actually, I've done a little reading on that lately. The Aztecs, most of the time, it it was a little bit of that. But no, it was not. It was... was, Well, I wouldn't say always, but I'm sure that... Aztecs is probably the easy one for us to grasp a hold of. And it was about, we are stronger than you, and we're going to put all our political enemies to death. If you don't do what we want, we will kill you. And we like that, because... In many respects, it's the Colosseum. Yes. There's a lot of that that went through that. And Cortez, who has himself been repudiated many, many times for lots of bad stuff, when he comes in, rightfully so, he says, that dog don't hunt, boys. And it really, you know, it was a very... Yeah, and we're getting off off topic. Cortez justified his actions on... These are... We call people barbarians. These, These Aztec dudes are... Really freaking barbarians. Yeah, but based on what they do, what they do, not yeah. on where where they come from or their yeah. ethnicity or anything yeah. like that. So, gentlemen, uh, Robert, I don't feel you took that episode over at all. I think you did okay. great. Uh, you did great, and Francis, you did as well. Uh, it was exactly what I was hoping for. I kicked a few concepts at you. We talked about how could we ever do it. justice? You can't cover it all. No way. But we are at the hour mark, so I want to wrap up. And Francis, buddy. What is next time? Well, we're going to do Code of Honor next time. You know, after Woo-hoo! we do after we history or philosophy, we're going to do that. This was kind of a philosophy thing. Uh, we've actually done a little show prep on this already. As and I'll just we're going to actually I in particular am and Martin's already said we're probably going to pick a Nietzsche quote. And Robert is kind of keeping himself to himself on this. The hammer, as usual. Well, it won't be a Nietzsche quote, but it will be related. See, yeah. there you go. So. This is the first time we've ever let Code of Honor be informed by the episode that went before it. So it's well, I don't know. I think not the first time, but this would be the first really super direct. Well, time. Yeah, it's really it's more direct. Yeah, this the first time, time that we're really going to announce it ahead of time. And we're going to allow this to bleed in strongly. Let, to, let it to, marinate. Yeah. Absolutely, you, we're, we're, you could roll in this one, listeners. Uh, because we didn't really talk. This about This is like a, a dog rolling in the yard and something. Well, we said <laughs> Nietzsche is eminently quotable. We gave you none of his quotes. That's we're true. We didn't. We're going to do that next gonna time. Do, yeah. Don't awesome. miss it. Well, we started at God is Dead, but that wasn't a real quote of his. That's, that's well, yeah, we, yeah, we, Exactly. We can do better. Yeah. Join us next time. You'll hear it. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. 
Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.